Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show today. Um, unfortunately, Pastor Phil is not with us. He had some things that he had to take care of, but we do have uh, Pastor Paul with us today. Brother, we're glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have been kind of addressing the um, kind of some objections against whether or not Christians should be involved in the political sphere. And, um, you know, this show is called The Gospel for Life. And so we, our, our presupposition is that the gospel applies to every single sphere. Is that right, Jonathan? That's right. Yeah. yeah socially, uh family that's right fathers mothers children Mm -hmm. uh, the way that you work um, Mm -hmm. and that would include the way that you are engaged politically as well so um, if you've missed any of those those prior shows I just encourage you to go back and listen to them Uh, just subscribe to the gospel for life wherever you subscribe to podcast so today I just wanted to to draw out um, what one of our confessional standards say about the Ten Commandments and and there's a connection between the Ten Commandments and how we uh, um, are acting within the political sphere. So in question 99 of the larger catechism, the, the Puritans actually laid out several rules for understanding the Ten Commandments. Um, just like you have uh, rules for grammar, like, and if you don't um, understand and apply those rules for grammar correctly, then you won't speak correctly and, and Russ you're very good at pointing out how I break rules of grammar all the time so I really really appreciate that I, I know you do and that's why I do it it's free right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there are rules to understand the Ten Commandments so here's the first rule to understand the Ten Commandments if you break this rule then you're not going to apply the Ten Commandments correctly so here it is question 99 the first rule says that the law is perfect and it binds everyone to full conformity in the whole man unto the righteousness therein and unto entire obedience forever. So as to require the utmost perfection of every duty and to forbid the least degree of every sin. So could maybe one of you guys just summarize what that law is? is well, that ultimately, it's pointing to the fact that, one, we don't keep that law perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result... As a, as a result, we do need a deliverer who has done that. We need one who is fully man and fully God, who has kept that perfectly for us. So in one sense, it, it we're reminded of, of the problems that we have in keeping the whole law. In fact, the Heidelberg uh, Confession even, even asked the question, can those who are converted to God perfectly keep these commandments? No, not even the holiest men, while in this life, they only have a small beginning of disobedience, yet so that with sincere resolution they be, begin to live not only according to some but to all the commandments of God. So the, the idea is this is, the, this is what we're being called to. This is what should pattern our life for 
you know, before we're Christians, it drives us to Christ who has done that for us as Christians. This is the will of God that actually that that he wants from us. And so it patterns our life as we live in obedience and gratitude toward him. And um, so in this question and answer 99, there's eight things that they say. This first one is saying that the law binds everyone to full conformity. And we've talked about this, and so I don't, I don't want to um, say too much here. But other than the fact that sometimes we get into the mindset that the law only applies to um, people inside the church. Or people in the Old Testament. Old Testament. And so people will say things like, well, that's fine for me, but um, I can't expect that of anybody else. Well, you're right. I can't. Um, but God can, um, and he can because he's creator. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have authority over people in the church or over Old Testament Israel because they gave it to him, and therefore he has um, the ability to hold them morally accountable. Um, as creator, he has not only the ability but the duty to hold everyone accountable to um how he created this world and the law is embedded in it um, which paul talks about in romans 2 it's embedded in us but the eighth thing here it says that in what is commanded to others we are bound according to our places and our callings Mm -hmm. to be helpful to them so what the the puritans are saying is we not only have an obligation to keep the law ourselves but Given whatever position we hold, whatever title, whatever um, role that we fulfill in society, we are to use that to help other people also more freely obey what the law has commanded. Mm -hmm. And so whether you want to say that those that are in politics have an obligation to keep the law because... They are um, duty-bound before God. Or um, I think in number eight, what they're saying is those that are in political positions are also duty-bound to to not only keep the law themselves, but to structure a society in which the law is obeyed Mm -hmm. and promoted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honestly, you know, my background before I came into kind of Reformed theology was Kind of a very you know middle of the road evangelical church, maybe even to the left of the the side of the road in a very seeker friendly church. And I think um, the idea that um, our lawmakers and our politicians are also under God's law was something that was completely foreign to me, um, as if there's some kind of neutral ground outside of the church that that God's law doesn't apply to. So I think in, I think in this room we would all heartily agree to that. But I actually think for a lot of perhaps our listeners, that that I think is a radical idea. Well, I think it's radical for a lot of people to even think that the law applies to them, period. If they're in the church or outside the church, I mean, very often, uh, you know, we're, you know, you'll hear people say, well, I'm under grace and not under the law. Yeah. Well, God's word, you know, God's word, uh, you know, Romans 12, you know, therefore. Yeah. You know, it has a therefore, and it begins to apply how we ought to give appropriate worship to it. You know, D. James Kennedy, um, you remember him, Yes, right? yes. Uh, he, he's, he's an, Presbyterian he's an old guy like ago. you. Yeah, well, <laughs> he, was. Yeah, he was older he's because he's passed away. <laughs> <laughs> he's eternally young now, but um, he used to ask, um, kind of pressing back on that, 
kind of antinomian, anti-law spirit. He said, well, which one of God's laws, the, speaking specifically of the Ten Commandments, which one of God's laws do you think he would be okay with you breaking? And he starts listing them off, right? You know, blasphemy, idolatry, theft, adultery, which one of those? And I would just say, when, when we're talking about, you know, our, our politicians also being under God's law, we're kind of asking the same question. Mm-hmm. Which one of those laws do you think our God would be okay with our politicians saying it's okay for them to break? Yeah, as, as, as people have pointed out, they're not 10 suggestions. Right, yeah, they, mm-hmm. they actually are commands from the right. Most High God. And this is not just something from the Westminster Confession uh, or the larger catechism. It, it's, it's what Scripture will teach. In Romans 13, God refers to governing authorities as his servants. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the sense there? Well, a servant is one that serves the master. And so what Paul is saying is governing authorities are underneath a master. They're not the master, they're servants. And who's their master? Well, it's God, because earlier in the passage it says that there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so it's it's demonstrating that their power is um, derivative. It comes from God, and because it comes from God, they have an obligation to God, and specifically the obligation is to keep his commandments, to keep his law. So is there some, that's a great didactic passage, is there some examples from scripture where kings or or politicians or whatever were actually kind of maybe called out on the carpet for violating God's law? Well, uh, the Old Testament is actually full of, uh, you know, uh, God taking down uh, nations, you know, the, the... God actually tells Israel that he's not giving uh, them the land because they're so perfect, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but because it's the iniquity of the Ammonites had become full. Right. So for four, 400 years, the Amorites were doing whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, God says, enough. Hey, I'm not going to take a, a, one more one more year of this, basically. Yeah. And, and he allows the, the, you know, the people of Israel to go into the promised land to be, and begin to dis, dispose of those individuals. Uh, interesting, taking up judges, you have a, an, a, an account where one of the, you know, where they, where they inquire of the Lord what they're supposed to do. The Lord says, go up and, and, and against the Canaanites, Judah go up, and Judah and Simeon go up. They take over um, Bezek, a well, town of Bezek. Uh, judges 1 tells about um, Adoni Bezek, the Lord of Bezek, and uh, and they they go in. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Um, and uh, he replies, you know, um, you know, something like seventy. You know, he's he's got seventy people under his table that he's done the same thing uh, to as well. And he's he's recognizes that God has given him his just due because he's done the exact same thing. Mm. And he. It's not just an Old Testament phenomena. Um, Acts chapter 12, um, the death of Herod. Um, why is he put to death? Because he did not give God the glory. Yeah. Well, what difference does that make unless he's in violation of, of some decree of God? And what's yeah. the decree of God? First commandment, right? The there. first commandment. Yeah. We see that in Daniel, too. Yeah. Uh, with yep. with uh, uh, King, uh, is it? Belshazzar. 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 Well, that's, Belshazzar. I think that's the interesting thing about the book of Daniel is that 
so first Nebuchadnezzar in chapter four, uh, Daniel pointed a finger yeah, at him and been said, and found wanting. Well, that's Belshazzar. Uh, oh, okay. In, in Neb- with Nebuchadnezzar, he said, um, "Look, this this vision of this tree being cut down—that's of you, Nebuchadnezzar. And unless you were essentially, he's, right. r- unless you repent because of the unrighteousness and the lack of mercy that you've been showing." And so Daniel, as a prophet to this this Gentile king, and of course, mm-hmm. in the end, you know, Nebuchadnezzar it seems to me repents after he's seven years a beast or whatever it is. But then Belshazzar, Daniel does the same thing to him. He says, you should have known about what God did to your, your, your father. And you, in fact, I'll just read it. He says, you, his son, Belshazzar have not humbled your heart though. You knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And of course that evening he lost the kingdom and his own life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's not just um, Israel, Israel's kings that are accountable to the prophets of God. It's also Gentile kings that we've seen have been accountable to Mm -hmm. the law of God. Mm -hmm. And as we've been talking about this, I I think Josh is correct in the assessment that this might sound strange. Um, There's a low view of the law, I think, even in Christian circles. Um, And I think there's even a lower view in the sense that we we only think it pertains even marginally to to us within the church. Um, And I think sometimes that's because we've taken passages from the New Testament that are are addressing our intentions of the law, the book of Galatians, trying to find salvation there. Mm -hmm. And so then we we then paint it in a negative light. Um, But the true attitude of the child of God, but the true attitude for any image bearer really should be um, the the sentiment of Psalm 119. Mm. And really, you can summarize Psalm 119 as, oh, how I love your law. Mm -hmm. And your desire is to run after it, to run in its ways. And what you'll find is that, that that's when we, we are those that find that we're, we're running not just in the law, but we're running in, in the way that God designed his world. Amen. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We will see you next time.